Francesca. And this is the Always the Critic podcast, where a couple of friends review the latest movies, except we literally have zero qualifications to do so. Jessica, we took a week hey. off. How you doing? We did. I'm feeling good after all that Hitchcock. I OD'd. I OD'd so bad on Hitchcock, so I'm ready to jump back into uh, a brand new series. Tell us about it, Rico. Yes, very excited. Uh, so today we are beginning a brand new series called Summer Superlatives. Each week what we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking about a movie genre, uh, you know, things like action, superheroes, or comedies, and discuss the reason why they play such a big role during the summer. Then after that, we're going to have some fun and give out some superlatives and the reason why we chose our selections. So you'll see what I mean by superlatives. Uh, yes. So we're aiming to have a new guest on for every superlatives episode, and we're starting out with a bang. We have Ryan L. Terry on. Ryan, if you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself, that'd be great. Sure. Uh, thank you guys so very much for having me. I uh, greatly appreciate every opportunity that I'm afforded to sit down with a wide array of uh, podcasters I've been able to foster relationships with over the years because uh, it's always the the highlight of my day in order to take and taking the conversations from Twitter and having them IRL, so to speak. And so I'm uh, excited to, uh, to help you guys kick off the start of these summer superlative series. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, summertime has some big movies. And, uh, you know, I, I know we're going to have a big, fun time and uh, discussing uh, all of them, especially when we get to our individual responses. Yes, um, I understand that you're Floridian, just like us, so which is <laughs> such a nice thought, so because we've had actually a couple of Twitter conversations where we're like, oh, let's meet up at Disney, and then it like never happened because <laughs> of the pandemic, and um, yeah. you know, it's just got really crazy, um, so we haven't had our Disney day yet, but we're for sure going to have it at some point. We <laughs> can't wait to... Uh, <laughs> return to the parks and i don't know i'm getting normalcy. kind of worried jessica because of the, how the reservation park reservation system is going to work Ugh. with pass holders because uh, yes. i tell you i'm tempted to i think my pass is up in october and or yeah. or if they don't whatever they're doing with extensions just whenever it expires i'm tempted to not renew it which will be the first time in a really long time only because you know, we don't have any details out, folks, at the time of recording this. But right mm -hmm. now, we don't know much. But what we do know from Disney's history is that hotel guests will get first dibs. And I don't think anybody is going to, you know, dispute that. And so I, I worry between, because um, I'm a silver pass holder, so the summer is blocked. Well, June and July are blocked out for me anyway. So I just, I wonder, it's like, well, between the hotel guests and, um, Platinum and Gold, who will probably get preference, because unlike Universal, who loves all of their pass holders equally, Disney loves to segregate them. And so uh, <laughs> so I'm uh, just between hotel guests and Platinum and Gold pass holders, it's like, mm -hmm. is there going to be any dates left for Silver pass holders? Or am I yeah. going to have to plan you know 90 days out even 30 days out i've never planned 30 days out before i yes. go to disney and so if i have to start doing that i'm tempted to Bye. just not renew my pass and then yep. upgrade my preferred at universal to premiere because i you know 
they they're on their A game. The experience at the grand reopening last week and pass holder days was superlative. <laughs> and uh, so I, you know, I'm like, you know what? If uh, Disney is going to do what they've done in the past, which is silver gets all the leftovers, mm-hmm. I may just, uh, after I do uh, Rise of the Resistance one time, I just may just let it go, uh, mm-hmm. in the words of Elsa, because I'd rather spend my money on a park that appreciates everybody. And mm. so, so that's where I am. So I hope we get yeah. our Disney day before then, if I end up not renewing, but we don't know what's going to happen. I just, I totally I've got understand. a feeling it's going to be something like that. <laughs> I totally understand where you're coming from. It's really worrying to have to make reservations because yeah. me and Rico are the type that's like Friday night, we get out of work. Hey, like, are you doing anything? Like, let's just go to Disney for a couple of exactly. hours. And like, that's the kind of <laughs> silver pass we are. Cause we're also silver pass people. Mm-hmm. And like, the whole reservations thing is really worrisome and if they run out then like you're shit out of luck like you can't like (laughs) go to the park so uh, it's it's mind-boggling but but we'll we'll come back to that (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry it's way off way off on a a tangent but i just you know it uh it's just that's yeah that's uh you know uh you know hashtag uh Passholder problems. Yes, <laughs> yes, for sure. Rico, why don't you um, uh, intro us into the genre we got for today? All right, so with this summer series, there's a lot of different genres that we can tackle, of course. But I think since we're starting with it, I think it's very important to kind of get a grasp of what exactly started the whole phenomenon of the summer blockbuster. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about some of the early movies in the summer blockbuster time range. And it kind of all kicks off with Jaws in 1975. Uh, Before that, you know, there was big movies, don't get me wrong. But I think the actual summer blockbuster didn't kick off until Jaws came out in 75 Mm -hmm. and became such a cultural phenomenon it became something that people look forward to you know what's going to be the big movie of the summer this year so we wanted to take a look what is it about these movies and you can mention any of the movies from that early range that really resonate and why is it that they resonate so much and why is it that people flock to theaters because of it if anybody wants to tackle that very, very broad question. I think it has a lot to do with like people having time on their hands to go to the movies instead of having school and work. You know, parents take off, there's vacation, um, kids are out. And so there is a lot of extra time to go to the movies. And, you know, Jaws was a beach movie. So like they were their whole thing was revolving around july 4th and you know people going to the beach because they had such a a, um they had a a, their whole economy was based around tourism so like that in and of itself is very summery um so yeah that's what i think people had time and they just went to the movies. <laughs> yeah, I uh, like to echo your point about, you know, Jaws being synonymous with Fourth of July. I know I do this and probably a great many of you listening do this. And Jaws is, you know, maybe not every year, but, you know, pretty regularly on Fourth of July is a movie that I make sure I watch. 
if I don't watch it, it's usually because I'm out of town visiting friends or family. But when I'm when I'm doing my own thing, Fourth of July, gotta watch Jaws. Uh, another <laughs> one of my Fourth of July movies, and most people forget that this is a Fourth of July movie. I know what you did last summer. And so also takes place on the 4th of July. And nobody ever thinks about that one. I'm like, hello, the whole parade is a 4th of July parade. So, uh, so Jaws, and I, I know what you did last summer doesn't fit into our criteria tonight, but, um, but I think it just it illustrates the point that there are these movies uh, that are synonymous with summertime. Uh, Independence Day uh, is another one. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we, we love watching these movies. And, and you're right, Rico, it really all started... Uh, with Jaws. Uh, the term blockbuster quite literally was birthed out of the just massive explosion of popularity and box office sales for Jaws because there were queues of people literally wrapped around the block. And so it's a, you know, we use it figuratively now, but the, the, the etymology of the term is quite literal. We were busting up these blocks and we had never seen anything like that before. Um, and so it was a win for cinema. It was a win for horror. Uh, just uh, a couple of years earlier, the highest grossing film of, um, of the year in 1973 was The Exorcist. And of course, it's not a summer movie, but mm-hmm. it's a huge movie for 1973. And until It Chapter 2 was the highest grossing horror movie of, or It Chapter 1 was the uh, highest grossing horror movie of all time. Um, so I love how Jaws is, it's not only a win for the movie going cinema experience, which we've been starved from these last couple of months, and I'm <laughs> eager to get back to it. I know AMC's future is kind of, uh, kind of, uh, it's a bit unsure at this point. I actually unloaded all my AMC stock because it was, uh, I just felt, I just felt it was, <laughs> I thought it was time to do it. Um, but it's, uh, you know, we, it's experiential. And that's why we love these movies. And I love how they bring people together. And I'm a big horror fan. So that's why you know, Jaws is important to me, you know, as uh, as, you know, a testament to the power of the cinema experience, not ne- not the Netflix and chill experience, not the Hulu <laughs> experience, not the Amazon Prime experience, the yes. fucking theater experience. Uh-huh. And so it, that is the evidence that it's not going to die. It may take a different form, maybe modified. It's not going to die. So those of you out there, uh, our hashtag uh, cancel culture, cancel movies, you know, eat your heart out because the movie theater is not going away. And so it is here. It just may, you just may not be able to get head from your boyfriend or girlfriend during the movie because they're going to be sitting two seats away from you. So... <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> um, so that I mean that's you know it's uh, the summertime. It's just it's fun, and we uh, want something new. And in Florida, you, we need somewhere to cool off because Absolutely. in addition to the ninety hundred degree temperatures, the humidity is killer. So yeah. we yes. got to get inside because it's enough that you step out of the shower and you put on your clothes, and it's like you never dried off. So, um, so, uh, so we, we need it's to so be able nice to... to be speaking about this because it's cool such down. a unique experience. It really is. It's so unique. Like people don't understand what it's like to be here. Not only facing that sun just beaming down at you between twelve and one o'clock. Well, actually, anytime any after time like eleven a.m. 
but then that humidity just smacks you in the face when you walk out the door. Yeah. It, it's ridiculous. Now, uh, really quick, you mentioned Jaws. We were talking yeah. about Jaws and how it basically birthed mm-hmm. the modern blockbuster. Just to put into context, the movie was made for less than $9 million, and it went on to make over $470 million in its global returns, including $260 million in the United States during that <sighs> summer season. So that is a huge deal. Like if you were to put those numbers now, you know, with inflation, with what's going <laughs> inflation. Exactly. That was the word I was looking for. Um, we're talking about billions. Of oh, it's dollars still a chart there. topper. Even, you know, yeah. for inflation, it, it, it still ranks very high. Yeah, it still ranks very high with inflation now. And um, speaking on your point, Ryan, about how maybe movie theaters, maybe there's a tweak to them. I think that what we're going to be seeing coming up is we're going to see a lot more of the the way it's been transitioning where it's more event type films that happen to be in theaters and then some of like the middle or indie films start getting pushed to the streaming service which is going to lead more to the credence of if you're going to watch this movie in theaters it's got to be an event it's got to be huge it's got to be a blockbuster and that's what a lot of the movies that we're talking about are they're big movies. They're they need to be seen on a big screen. They need to be listened to with that mm-hmm. audio, that booming audio. In Dolby Cinema. Have, have you guys done Dolby Cinema? Dolby yes. Cinema, yes. Dolby! <laughs> it's our favorite. We're it is our to favorite the right people. thing. <laughs> no, you're absolutely Seriously. right, Rico. It's like there are some movies that require the uh, the the Dolby Cinema experience specifically, but just a great theater experience uh, in general. I mean, we, we've got movies uh, like Jaws, uh, Friday the 13th, Poltergeist, Alien. Oh. This is a sequel, but I have to get it in there. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, and and others. You know, these are all uh, uh, movies that took place in the summer. They command that larger-than-life theatrical experience uh, as well as some of the other uh probably uh perhaps more popular uh you know movies such as the indiana jones and the star wars and <laughs> and the others but i'm a horror guy so i'm always going to give horror it's uh it's pedestal and uh, but they do they uh, because they they just they're the movies that you just want to get lost in and the best way of getting lost in these movies is having that that great sound, the smell of stale popcorn, the uh, <laughs> the uh, you know, just the uh, the large soda the that the, you need a the, lifeguard the to come with it. What is that like smell of like theater <laughs> carpet? You you know that yeah. like musty kind of yeah. like like that smell is such a like. We walk into the theater and you're like, I'm here. Like there is no place else. If you oh, blindfolded me and made me walk uh, in this building, I like, this is the movie theater. It's the same smell as E.T. Adventure. I know it's mildew, but you take that mildew smell away, E.T. Adventure is not the same. So you, you have to have, got to have the mildew smell when you're in the theater. You have to have the popcorn. I mean, it's because it, it's a sensory explosion and you don't get that at home. I, I got, it's not a giant TV. I got a 60 inch TV in my living room. It's pretty big and I've got good sound. Doesn't compare. I, I, I don't, I don't care how nice a setup I have in my living room. It's not ever going to compare to the theatrical experience. My sister uh, has an actual, you know, home theater, not the home mm-hmm. theater most people have. Like she went all the way 
with uh, curtains and pipe and drape and the screen and like I mean she like <laughs> literally like the the same recli- power recliners that you get at the many theaters now so she went all the way to create you know quite literally a home movie theater it's still not the same there's just you really I mean it's a lot nicer than what I have and I wish I had it but I would it's you, nothing takes the place of that theatrical experience especially for the movies that we're going to talk about today. I take, for example, um, uh, we'll take, uh, we'll take, um, Knives Out from last year. Really like Knives Out. The experience watching Knives Out is largely the same, whether I'm watching it, you know, my TV at home or in the theater. That's uh-huh, not the uh-huh. same with Jaws. The experience right. isn't the same. Same movie, totally different experience. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. Yes, I, I think those are excellent points being brought up uh, about the movie-going experience for blockbusters, especially just because that there there's nothing really like being able to share with a bunch of people, strangers, people you don't even know, mm. whether it's a laugh from a really funny movie, whether it's a fright from you know a scary movie, whether it's the exhilaration of a particularly fun moment in a action movie so mm-hmm. a lot of that stuff you know it, it kind of sucks just sitting on your couch and yeah. watching the movie when in a theater yeah. you even have though this you're collective experience oh, it's I, a collective i like experience. that yeah. collective experience it's a great way yeah. of putting it yes now uh speaking of collective experience i think that that would be a good jumping off point to be able to transition into our superlatives. Sure. Now, to explain to people, just want to give you a heads up. So basically what we're going to be doing is uh, we have a series of questions or awards, if you want. Uh, and we're going – each one of us is going to give out respective superlatives for each question. We have a roughly about 13 of them. And so the very first one I think that we should start off with is – which movie from the time frame we were talking about in that classic period? I, I call it classic because it's the start of the blockbuster time. So which one is the most iconic of the movies? And Ryan, if you want to start us off, like if you have your answer, that yeah. would be pretty cool. Well, we've already talked about it. So uh, so I won't spend a lot of time on this response, but, but it's Jaws. It you know, gave birth to the term blockbuster. It's a foundational horror film has been for over 40 years. I think we might be at 45 this year. Um, It holds up incredibly well because the story is solid. The conflict (laughs) is derived from the characters, not the scares. Not that many scares in the movie. (laughs) And the suspense is killer. Uh, And interestingly, the character of opposition isn't even the shark, who, you know, fans know as Bruce. The shark is just being a shark. It's a man-eating shark, (laughs) but the shark is just being a shark. The real character of opposition is the folly of man. But as a screenwriting professor, I tell my students, if you're going to go with a, an entity or an idea or a concept, you have to have a character um, that manifests you know, that idea. So the folly of man is manifested in the character of the mayor. So while the shark gets all the attention, the shark's <laughs> not even our uh, antagonist. I prefer the term character of opposition, but, um, but it's not even our... Uh, antagonist it's really the mayor and we also um have uh just a fantastic suspense and a 
in almost a Hitchcock fashion with uh, you know, planting information early on and just letting that simmer on the brain. And then we deliver at the very end uh, because uh, uh, when I saw Jaws, I think it was last year when I watched it or the year before, I said, I want to actually see you know, at what time, you know, do we see Jaws? It's a two, slightly over two hour movie. Uh, at what point do we do we see Bruce? And it's, I think it's within 20 minutes at the end of the movie. I know it's the, I know it's uh-huh. the, the transition from the second to third act. And I, I want to say there's only like maybe 20 minutes left of the movie. And so we go, yeah. at, what, an hour and 40 minutes? And we never, we might see a dorsal fin, I think, once or twice. And we see the results of an attack. But we don't actually see the attack. And I love it. It's why the dinosaurs really work in the first Jurassic Park and they don't yes. work as well in the rest of them because you know, <laughs> we just, we don't, we don't spend much time. Yeah. And I know there's some listener out there who's saying, well, that's because Steven wanted to show the shark and the shark was like all like, you know, clusterfuck and was all, you know, janky and whatever. <laughs> like well, I don't up. care. That's not, you know, the, it, the fact of the matter is this could have been a schlocky sci-fi channel, original B movie, uh, but it's not. And, and that mm. is just, that's accidental movie magic at its best yeah puts the class in classic yes exactly (laughs) i like that (laughs) and now Uh, jessica why don't you go ahead and give us your choice i have a totally different answer because i feel like the most iconic movie for me is raiders of the lost ark just what does that mean to you uh tannis well Well, the city of tannis is one of the possible resting places of the lost ark the Lost Ark? Yeah, the Ark of the Covenant, the chest the Hebrews used to carry around the Ten Commandments. What do you what mean, do you ten mean the, commandments? You're talking about the Ten Commandments? Yes, the actual Ten Commandments, the original stone tablets that Moses brought down out of Mount Harab and smashed, if you believe in that sort of thing. Any of you guys ever go to Sunday school? Just because it's like the intro to one of the most long-lasting characters in cinema, a fantastic protagonist, the freaking John Williams score, which has that in common with Jaws. Um, and it just has some amazing set pieces, like the freaking round boulder that comes after him. It's like, that's the intro sequence. So it's just <laughs> amazing. I love Raiders of the Lost Ark, and I think that's just super iconic. It comes up in like all those montages of like best movie moments. It's something yeah. from Indiana Jones and... Um, I just, I want to put forth Raiders. I, uh, I appreciate the response and it reminds me of the scene from the late great movie ride in which we go past, uh, Indy as he's lifting the Ark of the Covenant out. And of course we get the, uh, the line snakes, why'd it have to be snakes? Yes. And so it, uh, so that, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark always reminds me of great movie ride whenever whenever i've yes. seen it and then i get a little sad Rip. Rip. <laughs> <laughs> pour yep. one out pour one out yep uh so so we have those two and it's my turn uh we're gonna have a third movie here on this one jaws was my runner-up uh i i agree with all the points that ryan said that it i mean it birthed everything it the suspense that it draws is amazing. I was rewatching it last night just, you know, to freshen up. And you kind of forget, like, getting lost in the moment. It's like, oh, crap, are they going to be able to do this? Are they going to be able to catch the shark? Is the shark going to catch them? Are they, <laughs> you, know, you know, things like that. Uh, but 
my choice is a little known movie. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Star Wars. Um, <laughs> really? I've never, yeah. never, uh, never heard of it before. What's that well, one about? If, if you haven't heard about it, uh, this is a movie by George Lucas uh, and John Williams yet again. Hey, hey, that's the tie. Hey, that's that the, tie the tie right there. Actually, I was John looking Williams. at these lists of the ones that you guys had as, uh, uh, as starting points on the on the dock, and uh, I now want to go back and see how many of these have a John Williams score, because I would venture to say just half of them that are on that yeah. list are scored, yeah. by, oh, yeah. scored by John Williams. He's and dominating. So that's, uh, he just he knows how to pick them. He knows yeah. how to pick them, <laughs> and he works with great people. And Star Wars, I mean, go anywhere in any part of the country and there are people fascinated with star wars there's an entire culture of people who collect things from it that you know they watch every movie they'll you know memorize every line from the movie there's entire groups of people that dress up as the characters you know for different conventions there is a love for this franchise and it all started in 1977 Mm. with you know, this movie was huge. It came out Memorial Day weekend of 1977. And the world hasn't been the same since. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because, like, the type of stuff that we see now in terms of sci-fi, everything is trying to draw from Star Wars. You know, obviously Star Wars had its own influences uh, that George Lucas talks about, about radio serials and everything. But nowadays, everything feels like it's influence or it's trying to draw from Star Wars. Mm. And there's a reason why. And it's because it is a fun sci-fi action comedy love story. Like there's so much in the movie that if you don't like one aspect of it, you will like another. Mm-hmm. You know, it's made for everyone. So and that's a reason why it's iconic, because you can't go out to like a shopping plaza without even seeing like the logo or Darth <laughs> Vader or, yeah, you know, inundated. even the new characters. <laughs> so you're inundated no matter what. And to me, that just shows how iconic the movie spawned off this incredible culture that it has pretty much birthed. I, exactly. Mm-hmm. I, that's, uh, it really has, it's, it is, it, it is amazing how, influential uh that movie and the franchise as a whole you know has been you know it has found a place within our culture that few you know other films get to uh, perhaps perhaps not any uh but i haven't done the research so i can't say that you know uh, conclusively but i mean it certainly would be few others uh if mm-hmm. not it, you know being the only one and it's it, it just it was, it's a glorified indie film. And I think some people forget that. I mean, it's, yeah. we, I mean, we don't think of it, you know, now as that way, but at the time it came out, it was a glorified indie film. And so mm-hmm. it, I think it's also a testament to the power of independent film that, you know, granted, uh, if you're listening right now, are you likely to write the next Star Wars? Probably not. That's why I tell my students. It's like, I hate to burst your bubble. <laughs> Most likely, you're not writing the next, you know, Star Wars. You're not writing the next uh, Jurassic Park or Indiana Jones or Jaws. Not that they can't. Just most likely, you're not going to. Uh, but I do remind them that this is an example of having a dream 
and seeing it through all the way and because they didn't know this is gonna what was gonna happen Mm -hmm. and so so i i encouraged them you know you know you know to you know complete the films that they set out to make because you don't know if it's going to be you um, but you Mm want to make sure that your you know preparation meets the opportunity should you you know find yourself you know making the next um the the next star wars because uh we may have another one in the future that uh is uh that does transcend culture as much as star wars has but it's uh, certainly a global brand, global phenomenon, and it's uh, you know, larger, larger than life. Larger than life, indeed. Now, yes, with iconic movies, you you get to remember a lot of things, and usually the things that we remember are some of the lines from these movies. So, our next superlative: What is the movie that has the best line? So. We're choosing one line from okay. one of the movies. And Jessica, I'll start with you this time. Okay. What is the best line from these movies from that period? I had so many, like, choices. I wrote down so many lines, but I finally just went with this one from Back to the Future. Roads, where we're going, we don't need roads. And it's just like, what? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> Intro to the sequel. But... I really like that line. It's very mystical and uh, fantastical, and it kind of has carries the spirit of the whole film, where like they turned a DeLorean into a time machine, and now they don't even need the wheels on the DeLorean <laughs> to go to the future or the, to the past. So it's it's a really cool line, and I uh, I quite enjoy that one. So that that's a great line, obviously a great movie. I'm pretty sure it'll come up again <laughs> as we continue talking. My line, my choice is I'm going back to the first one we were talking about, which is Jaws, and it's... You're going to need a bigger boat. You're going to need a bigger boat. There it is. As, <laughs> as soon as that shark pops up... Bro! Yes. One of the fun... It's so funny because it's the way Brody pops his head back. Like, <laughs> it's not supposed to be funny, don't get me wrong, but it's like such a, like... Instinctual, it's a, he's like stunned. stunned. He's stunned, and then he's just slowly walking back, and he's like, "You're gonna need a bigger boat." <laughs> and just seeing that shark and how big it is, and it's like, "Yeah, you're you're damn right." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the understatement Ryan, of the century. The understatement exactly. of the entire movie. Uh, Ryan, what's yours? Uh, so uh, while uh, when I was thinking of uh, my response, you know, while the question of best line probably also belongs to Jaws. Uh, I'm um, not going to go with that one because I tried not to repeat too many answers, but it was unavoidable, you know, uh, for the whole thing. But um, but I'm actually going to go with They're Here from Poltergeist. Ooh. Ooh, um, yes. you know, while Get Away From Her, You Bitch, from Aliens is certainly more <laughs> climactic. And the general population does know that line. Uh, you know, they, they, uh, the general population probably doesn't know the lines from Aliens, but they know the line. I picked there here because virtually everyone knows precisely what you're referring to when you say <laughs> they're here. Simple yeah. yet effective. You only need those two words, just two mm-hmm. words. And oh, that sure. just packs a, you, a, a, it's a world of information 
in two simple words and it instantly transports you to poltergeist and that's what i love about they're here creepy they um it made a great uh when the hhn uh, had the poltergeist house a couple of years ago that moment was captured perfectly and and i love it that's i think it's one of few lines that you it's not that people know the line and know what's from a movie it's like they know this it they know the the movie they know the scene <laughs> they know the little girl they know everything from those two simple words and the way it's said yes. by the little girl it's the it's delivery like, yeah yes. it's the delivery oh man it is wonderfully I done. had so many runner-ups I just want to mention one from Ghostbusters sure. I had Venkman says yes it's true this man has no dick and I was like that is excellent because... <laughs> that is a very good one uh, yeah. now obviously we're talking about the best lines but let's flip the coin and talk about some of the worst lines uh, I'm gonna go first on this one just because I just this movie is full of one-liners, but some of them just don't land well. And oh, it's the movie Top Gun. Oh my no god! No way! The That's what I picked from Top Gun as well. I picked Hold Top on, Gun. <laughs> Top Gun's great, and it has great lines all over the place. But like this one-to-one interaction between Goose and Carol, and she's like, "Hey, Goose, you big stud!" It just never sat right. <laughs> And it's just like, eh, I don't know. This is a great movie with a lot of great lines. This is not one at all. Ooh, it's funny okay. you uh, mentioned Top Gun because that's also mine. Uh, I picked the most famous line, though, and I'll explain why before a bunch of haters uh, get on my case. I, I did pick the line. I feel the need. The need for speed. Ow! I feel the need. The need for speed. But it's because it has nothing to do with it's you know, often quoted in pop culture. Of course it is, and and so and it will be for you know all eternity. But it's yeah. it's the context that it's set in because it feels so incredibly on the nose. <laughs> These guys are literally jet fighter pilots. Of course they love speed. If they didn't like speed, they wouldn't they wouldn't be jet fighter pilots. And so when they're telling me they you know they have the need for speed, everybody you. Know, Everybody already knows this. You know, this it taught me nothing, you know, about them except okay. for their their lack of an ability to come up with a uh, a more, you know, clever maxim. Okay. So it's redundant to you. <laughs> yes. Like they're jet fighter pilots. Yeah, of course. Of course they feel the need for speed. <laughs> okay. Wow. I never thought of it that way, but that's a good point. Okay, my Jessica. Mine is from a little movie called Dirty Dancing. Oh. I got a question before you go further. Are you more Team Dirty Dancing or Team Flashdance? Oh, Dirty Dancing. Team Dirty, Dirty Dancing. Dancing. I can't okay. say I'm, I'm team. I'm Team Flashdance. Okay. Ah. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> Nobody puts baby in a corner. Like, just throw it away. And like leave it in the trash to rot because I hate that line. I just really it makes no literal sense when he comes up and says that like to her parents are sitting there. She's not really in a corner. Like it's bizarre. It's bizarre. <laughs> so I put forth that one. <laughs> okay. Sometimes context actually you know is important. So like yeah. when a line just gets said. 
out of nowhere in a movie and it's like why did that character say that it makes sense that it would be a bad line and so your interpretation of worst you know <laughs> we both have different interpretations mine was a context so was uh ryan's so yeah. was yours because it makes no sense in the movie <laughs> totally fair I, I think it's it's interesting how we have these lines which are incredibly quotable uh yeah, yeah, if you if you, when you stop to think about it, they don't make any sense, you know. No. But yes. yet they're quoted over and over and over and over in contexts that are far more clever than, than the original. Right. One. That are better than the actual movie. Ah, <laughs> uh, that that is a great point, Ryan. Now uh, let's go back to best because I think that we do some good work there and <laughs> best stuff. Uh, we were talking about John Williams. I have a feeling he'll come up for a lot of these. <laughs> what is the movie with the best score? And I'm going to start with Ryan this time. Sure. That's an easy one. E.T. Your hands yes. down. still makes me tear up uh, when I hear it on the E.T. Adventure at Universal Studios Florida. It's a combination of its use in the film and on the attraction. Uh, it's a just a beautiful orchestral score, which lacks mm-hmm. a lot of the trumpet fanfare that we're used to getting from John Williams. It's not doesn't quite subvert his style the way it did in Memoirs of a Geisha, but mm-hmm. it's not as... It's, it doesn't have the trumpet fanfare that Star Wars, Indiana Jones, yeah. or Jurassic Park has. But we do yeah. have this beautiful orchestral score. And it ostensibly becomes a character in and of itself. And yeah. I, I hear it, and I, and I do tear up. Because it, it, it is, it's, it's a combination of both of, of the fondness for the film and getting to ride the movie at Universal Florida. And so that's why it's, um, of all the ones from 70 to 90, that is um, probably the score that sticks out to me the most. may not be as recognizable as Star Wars. Few scores are, um, or Indiana Jones. But there's there's a magic, I think, in the mm. E.T. score yeah. uh, that I don't find in uh, either of the aforementioned, even though they are more, perhaps more iconic. Because uh, in... Um, it just uh, really the ET score just really tugs at your heartstrings. Yes. 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 I'm gonna does. agree fully. That was that was my choice as well. Oh, I have really? a, this is absolutely I love ET. I, it's like one of my favorite movies. But honestly, the score by John Williams makes the movie so much better, and that is the mark of a great score. And also, I listen to it like. If I'm driving somewhere, have a long drive, like that final end sequence is like a good 10 minutes and I'm just like, play. Like it is <laughs> so good. It takes you on an emotional roller coaster mm-hmm. and I can't get enough. It has like at the end when they do the big symbol crash at the end of that, um, you know, E.T.'s flying away at that point. He's about to take off. But that symbol crash, like I wait for it because it is such a climax in the score and in the story for like this friendship and this bond to be broken at the end of the movie. It's crazy. It's crazy. I could go on and on about E.T., but I agree. 
I'll give you a runner-up, though, real quick. The Karate Kid has oh. a pretty good score <laughs> by Bill Conti. And also, I don't know if Bill Conti had anything to do with this song, but, like, Cruel Summer by Bananarama is, like, inspired in that movie. <laughs> I, um... I'm not terribly familiar with the song or um, or the Karate Kid. I know I've seen it, but it's been it's been ages. But you mentioned yeah. Bananarama, and whenever I think of Bananarama, my go-to is Venus from Romy Michelle's High School Reunion. That's yes. uh, that <laughs> yes. when I think of Bananarama, that is that's the song that I that I think of. And I just, I hear uh, the, uh, especially when you get to the, the chorus, you know, I'm your Venus, you know, I'm your fire, and I'm not going to try to sing it. And so <laughs> I just, uh, I, that, what I, so when I, when I hear Bananarama, I think of, I think of Venus, specifically from, uh, you know, its appearance in Romeo and Michelle. Yes, and I am very familiar with Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion, and I remember the that scene. Oh, when they're walking in is, those killer oh God, yes. dresses, and that and the, and like the song just drops. It's just so much fun. Fantastic! <laughs> it's it's so rare that uh, Romeo and Michelle High School Reunion comes up in conversation ever. <laughs> so it was great to hear it. Uh, really quick, my choice for best score, I was going to go John Williams, but I decided not to. Mm. Uh, only because if if I was going to choose John Williams, it would have been for a movie that's a sequel. And I'm going to save that for our sequel discussion, which will be in a few weeks. Ah. Uh, so with that stipulation out of the way, I'm actually going to go with Back to the Future. Alan oh. Silvestri's score oh. to Back to the Future. Another I think great it's, composer. Yes. Oh, his his work is great. I mean, obviously, you know, his work, it, you know, the Avengers theme for people who aren't aware, he also did that. But the Back to the Future mm-hmm. theme, it's propulsive. Yes. It's uh, it's whimsical. It's also very triumphant mm-hmm. as well. Like mm-hmm. because there's like the little hints of like uh I think the the winds, the woodwinds, mm-hmm. like just like appearing here and there throughout the it's song. It's playful. It's very playful, yeah. but then it's that moment, like, especially when you see the DeLorean taking off, you know, to go into the future, to the past, in any movie, you hear the, <laughs> you know, like that, that moment, it's like so triumphant that you just can't, you know, you just get sucked into that moment. I think it's amazing. Mm-hmm. So that is best score here. Now, uh, a lot of these movies have people that we remember very well. <laughs> and so now we're going to talk about best character, like the best character in any one of these movies. I'll start with Jessica this time. Who okay. is the best character from any of these movies here? I have a lot of choices, but I went with <laughs> I went with Chunk from The Goonies, played by oh Jeff Cohen, because he's an absolute scene stealer and so, so funny in that movie. I love when they're like interrogating him the fratellis are interrogating him with the blender and they're like we want you we want you to tell us everything everything and he just starts singing like a canary his entire life's history of being a bad kid and it's hysterical (laughs) so uh you know truffle shuffle all that good stuff good fun so i chose i chose chunk (laughs) oh that's 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 a a great great choice. choice and and you're right such a scene stealer and uh, just fun and 
It just, uh, and even a little uh, heartwarming with the relationship that he forms with, um, oh, what's his face? Uh, yes. What's the character's uh, name? Um, oh, why am I blanking on this character's name? I know who I call him Hey about. You Guys, but I know that's not his name. That's not and, his name. Uh, no. <laughs> what is, oh my god. <laughs> but I love how we, we have, you know, there's, there's that heart. And that's what uh, many of these movies that uh, that we've we've mentioned, you know, they you know they they have heart in them, and so I, yeah. I love how we have that. Uh, it's a coming of age story with heart. Uh, and we have, uh, you know, ET is you know a, a science fiction story, you know, science fiction movie uh, adventure with heart. You know, uh, even Jaws, you know, has heart in it in the the relationship uh, yes. between the sheriff and his family and the town. And so there's yeah. there's heart. And all these, maybe that's a, uh, maybe that also helps to make a summer blockbuster, a summer superlative, uh, is whatever the genre happens to be, there's that degree of heart in it. Mm. Well said. It's, well said. The name indeed. is Sloth. Sloth, that's Sloth. it. That's what it is. Uh, so let me give my character, uh, again, so many iconic characters throughout. I, I decide to go with like a main character. Mm-hmm. Uh, one that resonates, and it's kind of hard not to choose Darth Vader yeah. from Star Wars A New Hope. It's kind of hard not to, and so that's my choice. Uh, one of the most iconic villains in cinematic yeah. history, uh, one of the most recognizable characters in cinematic history, um, has quoted lines left and right, um, and he actually instills fear. Like, if for the first time you're watching it, uh, like, I'll never forget... You know, watching the original trilogy on VHS when I was younger <laughs> for the first time. And when he appears for the first time, it's like, oh, God, who the hell is this? Just like, shat your oh, pants man. as a child. <laughs> Pretty much. And so it's kind of hard not to choose him. Although there are obviously some very notable choices to make. But Darth Vader kind of stands above them all here in this category we've made. Ryan, what's your choice? Um. Well... While I firmly believe that Jason Voorhees is the most iconic <laughs> character to come out of the uh, uh, summer season, um, he doesn't take his actual, in, in terms of our 1970 to 1990, he doesn't make his appearance in his worldwide recognizable form until part three. So I couldn't, so I, mm. so I, I couldn't go with Jason. Um, so I went with Bruce Willis's John McClane from yes! Die Hard. I thought I told all of you I want radio silence until further. Oh, I'm very sorry, Hans. I didn't get that message. Maybe you should have put it on the bulletin board. I figure since I wax Tony and Marco and his friend here, I figured you and Carl and Franco might be a little lonely, so I wanted to give you a call. How does he know so much about this? This is very kind of you. I assume you are out serious party crash. You are most troublesome. For a security guard? Sorry, Hans, wrong guess. Would you like to go for double jeopardy where the scores can really change? Yes! Uh, because Die Hard is inarguably I will die on this hill. The greatest action movie of all time. The, the <laughs> deafening shout-outs. We have explosions, killer catchphrases. Who doesn't know yippee ki motherfucker? And so yes. everything in this movie just remains gloriously intact. And so uh, when I uh, when I when I couldn't go with Jason, I'm like, who else has just left such an impression on cinematic history? And it's John McClane. 
Oh, excellent. It's such a great choice. Excellent, excellent choice. Uh, we actually talked about Die Hard on our Action Movie Hall of Fame episode from uh, a few episodes back. So if you're listening and want to give that a check out, uh, scroll back in your podcast feed and you can hear us talk about that. Now, uh, we talked about best characters because usually they're doing a lot in the movie. So now let's flip it and let's talk about the character that's doing the bare minimum. And this could be open to interpretation on how you want to interpret bare minimum. It could be worse. They could be doing nothing. Anything you want. So I'll start with Ryan, then Jessica, then myself. Ryan, who is the character that you feel is doing the bare minimum in any one of these movies? Uh, so by bare minimum, I went with um, who's phoning in their performance. And so Ooh, that's, okay. how, that's how I chose to interpret it. And I do get Friday the 13th on this list because it is the new Camp Crystal Lake owner. He <laughs> is so incredibly flat <laughs> and boring. He's functional. He's not memorable. And I don't even remember the dude's name. That's how... And I didn't look it up. I'm like, I, I'm not going to look up his name because that just shows how not memorable this guy is. And mm-hmm. so it's 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 the owner. He's just he's just terrible. As, as bad as some of the other uh, performances are... Uh, of course, Kevin Bacon was great. Of course, Kevin Bacon's great in everything. Um, but he's, right. just, he's just so boring. And so that's... Uh, so I, I you know, he could have been replaced by anybody and mm. probably would have done the same if not likely a better job right wow <laughs> i hear you okay. i hear you there you go okay jessica your I, turn. okay so i interpreted bare minimum to be a character that is literally just coasting by everyone around him is doing way more work than he, he or she is doing and um i had two contenders uh but my winner was ferris bueller if I go for 10, I'm probably going to have to barf up a lung. So I better make this one count. The key to faking out the parents is the clammy hands. It's a good non-specific symptom. I'm a big believer in it. A lot of people will tell you that a good phony fever is a deadlock. But uh, you get a nervous mother, you could wind up in a doctor's office. That's worse than school. You fake a stomach cramp. And when you're bent over, moaning and wailing, you lick your palms. It's a little childish and stupid, but then so is high school. Because Ferris Bueller (laughs) does literally nothing, coasts by his high school career, uh, is super manipulative to his best friend, who has everything that he wants, like the car, um the the money and the he has the girl and it's just like how did he even like get to be where he is he's doing like the bare minimum he even deemed an entire day just it's my last day i gotta do something with it like the other days that he took off and was like not going to school and skipping school he didn't do anything apparently so on this last day he's gonna get it all in so it's like yeah ferris bueller Okay. I like it. Very so, bold. I uh, it's very very, very ballsy. I appreciate that. <laughs> yes, a lot of people would fight you on that one, but <laughs> I, I get where you're coming from for sure. Uh, mine, I decided to interpret it as in because of this character that it kind of brings down the scenes mm. that they're in. Like they're not that good in their mm. scenes, or you know, for some reason it just 
brings a down not a downer on the movie because it's she's not really a character of a downer but it is margot kidder's lois lane in <laughs> superman from 1978 yeah her character Oof. is at times can be grating can at times can be annoying mm-hmm. um and it's just really hard to root for her and clark kent or superman to be together because it's just like this is a character that you <laughs> like it's she's a fun sidekick but she's not a main protagonist oh kind of like so it just shades feels... of gray <laughs> <laughs> another movie i did not expect coming out in this conversation wow i love how they didn't even try like the main what is her name anastasia anastasia yeah <laughs> Anastasia Steele. If I had a tomato, Oof. I would yeah. throw it. Ooh, that's <laughs> awful. Okay. But yeah, so that's that's my feeling is that the movie is pretty iconic itself. Of course, again, John Williams uh, making the score for it. Uh, you have iconic characters. Uh, Christopher Reeves, Superman, is the Superman. Don't tell me otherwise. Uh, <laughs> but Lois Lane by Margot Kidder is kind of a downer. It brings each scene down hell even gene hackman who is doing his own interpretation of lex luther i don't know what he's doing but at least he's doing something but uh yeah i'm just not a big fan of margot kidder's uh, lois lane so that's why i would say no argument here i think that's a very that is a fair assessment all right, so let's uh, go ahead and hit some of these other ones a little more rapid fire. So I'm going to jump here into our superlatives for the genre. Since a lot of these movies are a little bit old, which movie has the most technically impressive shot? And I'll start with Jessica on this one. Jessica, which movie has the most technically impressive shot? I really like the E.T. flying scene mm. with yes. them like taking off and going and flying over the sun, the setting sun and stuff like that. I just like I rewatched it and I was like, "That's it, man! Like that's the one." I really like that shot. Oh, uh, it's a uh, it's and beautiful it looks good. Look. Like still, it looks still great. looks good. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the key to any of these scenes is that does it still hold and look good now? Uh, you know, Ryan, what about you? This entire movie still looks stellar, and I'm going with. Ridley Scott's definitive space horror alien with no yes. fucking s alien yes. a l i e n literally of everything about alien is a oh masterpiece God. final report of the commercial starship Nostromo third officer reporting the other members of the crew Kane Lambert Parker Brett Ash and Captain Dallas are dead. Cargo and ship destroyed. I should reach the frontier in about six weeks. With a little luck, the network will pick me up. This is Ripley, last survivor of the Nostromo. Signing off. And it is a perfect film from the moment that we, from the moment the credits start. And yes. we are in space, and the alien title slowly comes in, and then we eventually make our way onto the Nostromo again. Uh, great movie ride. Great uh, movie ride. Yeah. Rip. <laughs> and to um, uh, the Nostromo, uh, it's just it it looks beautiful still to this yeah. day. And so 
everything visual. I mean, everything about Alien, but this is specific to the visuals. Uh, so visually stunning, holds up. None of the others, you know, can compare. I will say Aliens is still very good. I prefer the first one, but Aliens was a very fine sequel. We're um, on the same page. And, and so we are uh, but on no, the same page. Yeah, this is this is it. Alien. It's a masterpiece. Oof. Yeah. Uh, no arguments here. Uh, definitely one of the most impressive movies that they've done about space and that it looks like it's in the void yeah. of space. It's it's amazing. Because in space, uh, nobody from... can hear you scream. Yes! <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> uh, for me, the most technically impressive shot is uh, I'm going to go with Back to the Future Anytime that the DeLorean is about to take off and you see the spark shooting in front of the car. In 1985, I don't know who (laughs) thought of doing that and thought, you know what would be cool if like lightning was basically shooting in front of the car before it took off. (laughs) Great choice. The freaking tire marks that are on fire. Yes. To me is like, oh my God, they've hit the mother load. Like they... They nailed it. It's so good. And it's practical. I mean, now you do that, it's going to be CGI. But no, when they, when, when, when this was shot, those, that's real fire. That's why it still looks great. And so (laughs) so I, I think it's also, you know, not only an impressive, you know, shot sequence, but it's also so iconic. It's, it's very much a part of popular culture. And it's, uh, recognizable even for those who haven't seen the movie. They, they, they know precisely what that is yeah yes agree with that our next superlative the best character intro so the moment that a character is introduced jessica okay i mentioned one the other day when i was talking to you and i changed my mind uh it's bruce the shark from jaws (laughs) i just love that character intro and we already covered it we don't have to say what it is again but honestly like it is so well done and it really is great reveal yeah, yeah. oh yeah it's character. an amazing reveal and yeah. especially so late into the movie so late much. yeah <laughs> so uh my choice uh a classic it's indiana jones and it. raiders of the lost ark knew it you get all you see is silhouettes yes. and you know he's walking through and you're like where's this jungle and <laughs> All of a sudden, someone tries to, you know, turn on him with a gun, and he has a whip. Like, <laughs> who has a whip? And then he uses it to knock it out of the guy. And then he comes from out of shadow right into the light where you see his eyes, and it's just like, well yes. done, Steven Spielberg. Yes. Fantastic work. So that's my choice for best character intro. Ryan, uh, what's your choice? Mine is also Alien, uh, because I love how our central cast is quite literally uh, birthed out of the pods uh, at the beginning of the film, which comments on the film's overarching theme of motherhood. And so I love uh, how the the pods, we, we, we go through the, you know, fallopian tube, so to speak. And then we, you know, we come down to the eggs and then they are birthed. And so I love how visually we are communicating so much about the film 
through this introduction of the world these characters live in, the Nostromo, and then the characters themselves. And so it works on multiple levels. Never yes, break quarantine, a- y'all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Now, uh, next one is the character with the best job. Uh, I'll start this one off, then we'll go Ryan and Jessica. So with the first one, uh, the I narrowed it down to two. Uh, the first one is not as realistic, but it's still fun. It would be a fighter pilot in Top Gun. Okay. I think that would be fun. I bet. Just do to you be have? Uh, do you feel the need? The need for speed. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> but that was my runner-up because ah. I think a more fun one, and this is a movie that hasn't been mentioned yet. Is the movie big? No, Josh Baskin, <laughs> Toy Maker. Well, there's a million robots that turn into something, and this is a building that turns into a robot. What's fun about playing with a building? That's not any fun. This is a skyscraper. Well, couldn't it be like a, a, a robot that turns into into something like a like a bug or something? A bug. Yeah. Like a big prehistoric insect with maybe like giant claws that could pick up a car and, and crush it like that. A prehistoric transformer. Interesting. Gentlemen. So the robot turns into a bug. Ah, uh, gentlemen, oh, listen. listen to have just got a very good idea here. The robot turns into a bug. Oh, this yeah. is yeah. a great yeah. idea. Someone's a water bug. Oh, Different sizes yeah. and things. And, Susan, and we could do ladybugs. You could have them wreck building. Transformers for girls. A building is this is an urban yeah. bug. Yeah. yeah, he's like a toy tester at a major toy company. He plays Tell all me. day long. <laughs> yes. Tell me that wouldn't be fun to be walking around as like, this would be a cool toy. This would be great. I'm going to create the next big thing for kids to play with. I, I think that's an amazing job and a practical one, too, as well. Oh, you stole mine. Uh, Sorry about that, Jessica. <laughs> Ryan. Uh, Ryan, I'm, I'm going to go choice. with Indiana Jones. Yes. Because uh, I've, I've taught film now for over four years as a part-time professor at the University of Tampa, and I long for the day that I uh, that the department <laughs> opens up a full-time position in what I teach. Uh, of course, it's uh, cinema studies and screenwriting. So as you can imagine, there aren't that many full-time positions, uh, you know, teaching those subjects. Uh, so uh, so I long for the day that I can uh, teach uh, full-time, uh, not just there, I mean, any university, uh, uh, but I do love where I teach. And uh, so, uh, so the fact that he gets to to do what he loves, he gets to teach what he loves, he gets to experience yeah. what he loves. You know, that's my dream job. You know, I I love writing, and I've enjoyed producing in the past. And you know, I'm getting ready to launch uh, my own podcast, and I can talk about that a little bit later on because it's scripted. Um, so as much as I I love doing all that stuff, my first love really is teaching others uh, about film. And so, uh, mm-hmm. so I'm always a little jealous of, of his job because, you know, that's what, you know, that's what I would like to do one day. Yes. Teaching that. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, we'll definitely, of course, uh, let you talk about your stuff, uh, right at the end here. Uh, we still got a few more questions to go before we get there though. Uh, speaking of the end, I happen to great <laughs> transition. Uh, what is the movie with the best ending? Um, Obviously, you can kind of like play around with the timing a bit. You know, it could be like the very last thing it happens or, you know, the big set piece that happens at the end. It's up to you, Jessica. Best ending. Okay, my runner up is When Harry Met Sally. Mm. 
because ah. of the whole like speech like when you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with someone you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible so that whole thing is excellent but i think i'm gonna go with the karate kid <laughs> because that whole sequence of him winning the tournament and doing the crane kick and um ugh, the freeze frame on mr miyagi like i'm just like yeah that's that's awesome I mean, it's it's not a bad choice at all. I I would say it's a lot of fun. Uh, let's go with Terry. What is your best ending? Uh, that's got to be Jaws. You know, who doesn't uh, know or remember Smile, you son of a b- explosion? Smile, you son of a... And yeah. so um, I, I, I think it's great. I mean, it's just uh, it's it's fu- it's fun. It's uh, it, it's surprising, and uh, I mean, just everything. It's it's everything, and just and just sums up. And we get the uh, not only the uh, a great explosion at the end, but we we also get a great one liner. And <laughs> so yeah, that that's that's my pick for uh, best ending is the. Um, this my son of a b- explosion. I don't th- <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. a good choice. Mine is one that I didn't expect, but what I did was I said, like, what is the very last thing to happen in a movie? Like, as they're about to go into credits. And so I think the best ending is the movie Grease. Oh. You're going from <laughs> the entire, you're the one that I want, they get into yeah. a car and they go flying off. <laughs> I think it's an entire like magical thing just like slapped on at the end, which I think is like it just brings a smile to my face because it's it's sure is silly, but like it is like it feels magical at the same time. Uh, I think that anything like the very, very end of a movie like that one nails it above all the others. It's very, I know, it, it's it very an optimistic. From- it's a musical. And uh, I appreciate it. I just, I don't know. I don't, I can't agree, but I see what you're going for. Yeah. Yeah. No, like I a think, big number and then yeah. they like fly, <laughs> fly off. It, the it's fun. I mean, the flying car comes out of nowhere, but <laughs> it's still, it's, uh, it's recognizable. Uh, we've seen it parodied. Uh, we've seen it um, <laughs> uh, certainly in, you know, like, seen like, you know, advertising and of course, you know, music and just, and so, uh, I think it works. I, I think it works for a, a great ending. And so, yeah, I, I, I think I think it's a very uh, a, a pick that is you know, when you stop to think about it, it's like, you know what? You know, that really is. And so I, I, I like how uh, you're highlighting an ending that probably doesn't get talked about as often when yeah. you're when you're discussing movie endings. Mm hmm. Thank you. I appreciate you backing me up on that, Ryan. <laughs> Jessica, I, I, I could see a little bit of the <laughs> antagonism there. Oh, All right. Baba, do, baba, do, baba. <laughs> Let's just break into song at the end of this. <clears throat> exactly. Now, here is a pretty big one. This is a loaded one. What is the best moment in a movie? And I will start with Ryan this time. What is the best moment in any of these movies? Best moment. Sure. I'm going to go with... I'll be right here yes! from uh, from E.T. Oh. And again, between the movie and the attraction at Universal, 
I tear up every time I hear that line. I get off the bicycle at the unload platform. I'm walking down the ramp, and you hear E.T. say, you know, I'll be right here. And I always get a little little tear in my eye. And it's a combination of uh, just the uh, that moment in the movie. And then um, I always think of my family on that attraction uh, going through there. Uh, specifically, my sister, who... Uh, um, I got a universal pass, so a few times a year she comes down and, and visits me and we go, and so that's one attraction we always do. Of course, we always do everything, but like that's usually the first <laughs> thing that we go and do is E.T. And so when I hear that, I, I think of her, and when I write it and I hear that, and she's not sitting next to me, I get a little sad. And so, um, and so it's like, yeah, so it's, uh, you know, it's the movies that you know, we, can, we can watch and experience, and it's, uh, it's that combination of both of them that makes the uh, I'll be right here from E.T. You know, my favorite moment uh, in a movie. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a very great pick because it, it's a very memorable moment. But to be able to tie it in with something so personal, I think, is just amazing. Uh, Jessica, what is your choice for the best moment? Mine's also really emotional. It's the Oh Captain, My Captain from ah, Dead Poets Society. Yes. Like, I just like tear up immediately like when that scene happens because it is like a culmination of many things that play in the movie itself, but it stands on its own because you feel this connection and this deep sadness at letting somebody go who's taught you so much and who you admire and is a mentor and like unfairly has to leave it's just like ugh, it's crazy so yeah so you two both went with emotional like you know things that really pulled at the heartstrings for you personally yeah mine is on the complete other side mine is just (laughs) exhilarating just like so much fun and it's the moment where marty mcfly goes back to the future damn it doc why did you have to tear up that letter we have more time wait a minute I got all the time I want. I got a time machine. I can just go back early and warn him. Okay, 10 minutes ought to do it. Okay, time circuit's on, flux capacitor, fluxing, engine running. All right. Uh, you know, the clock tower is about to get struck by lightning. He's driving. He's trying to get it up to 88 miles per hour. Doc slides down to try to connect the wires together. He connects it right on time. The DeLorean hits. The music is at its peak. Just all that right there in a matter of just like a minute. Just everything going on at the same time, I think, is just movie magic. That's that's what we call it there. Yeah, movie it's, magic it's a me. very... Uh... <sighs> adrenaline heavy like part of the movie so yeah it's a great moment it's a great moment moment. and here we are at the end uh we have two questions left but i'm gonna kind of combine them into one or you can answer both of them really but we have what is your most memorable movie watching experience the original question is movie going experience but since most of these happened before we were even born really we couldn't have gone to go see them in the theater (laughs) so what is your most memorable movie watching experience and 
a second question, which movie do you wish you would have seen in theaters? Ooh. So I think those two uh, kind of go hand in hand uh, for this. I'll go first with this one. I'll go with Jessica second and then Ryan, you could finish sure. this off. So I remember very vividly watching the original Star Wars on VHS. I remember that the box, it was black and gold <laughs> and it was three movies. So it was like the, the original trilogy. And I remember for the first time popping in the actual videotape, the VHS. Mm. And, you know, it starts worrying and like, you know, it's not like that crisp picture of DVD. Yeah. It's a VHS. <laughs> so it's like, you know, staticky. Yeah. And I remember when that theme just bursts out of like the puny speakers that are on my TV <laughs> at the time. And I was thinking, oh, man, this is so cool. And then all the different moments that happen throughout the movie, of course, are great. You have Luke in the X-Wing, you know, when he fires off the shot to blow up the Death Star. You know, what, you know, I mentioned it earlier, Darth Vader entering in for the first time. Mm-hmm. Scary for an eight-year-old Rico. So, you know, like things like that, I remember very vividly from the first time I ever watched that. And it's probably the most memorable movie watching experience of these movies. And then when it comes to a movie I wish I would have seen in theaters, like basically I was alive. If I was alive for this time, I would have loved to see it. It's Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm. Uh, Just being able to see from beginning to end, just everything unravel in that movie in a theater would have been such an amazing experience because it's one of my favorite movies of all time. And I think I just would have gotten such a joy out of seeing that type of adventure on a big screen. Yeah. I've gotten a similar type of reaction with uh, The Mummy, which is, you know, basically a descendant of Raiders of the Lost yeah. Ark. So, like, I remember watching that one in theaters. So I think I would have had, like, the same type of experience if I would have seen Raiders in a theater at you know at that age so right. i would have loved to see it in theaters hmm. all right jessica what are your choices for movie experience it has to be alien to me mm. um that's actually uh that's mine too uh yeah, because it, it uh, but, but, but go ahead me. No, i'm sure it's for I the mean, same reason <laughs> yeah it, it just completely terrified me i watched it at night um, with my parents, and I'm like, oh, have you seen Alien? Because it was like on HBO or something like that. And I was like, no. So we made a night out of it and we watched it. And I just like, they didn't tell me anything. They didn't spoil it or anything. And like, it was a, extremely immersive, super unapologetic, it, like visually stunning, and has that same Hitchcockian suspense where they mm-hmm. hold withhold what the alien looks like in its final state. Um, until, you know, close to the end of the movie. And that like, completely blew my mind with Ripley in the lead, Sigourney Weaver. Uh, it was an experience I'll never forget. And it was, it, I don't think it, it's the closest I've ever come to like experiencing something um, in a theater when I wasn't in the theater. So alien for me. And then movie I wish I saw in theaters, same as Rico Raiders. I've, to be a fly on the wall to see Raiders for the first time, have no idea what's going to happen, who this is. It, it, I mean, it, it would have been a great opportunity to see Raiders in theaters. 
great choice yeah. on that movie there. And Alien is such a memorable movie. You mentioned, Ryan, that that is probably your most memorable movie-going uh, watching experience. No, I, I uh, you know, wish I was alive to have seen uh, Alien. Um, but, um, you know, I, uh, first, actually the first movies that I ever watched, uh, in the theater that I can remember, uh, Batman Returns in 92, followed by Jurassic Park in 93. Um, the, uh, my dad was, uh, still in grad school when I was very young, so we didn't have any money. So, uh, so I only went to the movies, you know, uh, once a year. And so the ones that I, uh, the ones that I remember, uh, uh vividly, uh, Batman Returns and Jurassic Park or the turn uh, and like, if I'm gonna... If I'm going to have watched, you know, like, of all the movies I could have watched, you know, in, you know, uh, in the early 90s, I'm glad, you know, it was, you know, it was those two. Uh, but, you know, they don't, uh, you know, neither of those fits our criteria for today. Um, so, um, so I thought, well, I did get to watch Jaws in theaters for its 40th anniversary the other year in IMAX. Ooh. And so I uh, watched it at the Sundial Movie Theater in St. Pete, just a hop, skip, and away from, away from the beach. So it was absolutely, absolutely perfect. <laughs> and so um, I, that experience in watching, you know, Jaws in IMAX was just fantastic. Um, I, um, another one from uh, our time period that I got to see in theaters on second run was Die Hard. Because there was the uh, big anniversary back in, I think it was 2013 or 14. And so I got to rewatch Die Hard in the movie theater. So those are ones that I uh, have been able, that fit our time frame. And I have been able to see in the theater, albeit many years later. Um, but uh, as mentioned earlier, <laughs> my response for what I would have loved to have seen uh, originally was uh, 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 Jessica's uh, Alien. And it's uh, a perfect film. And I would have loved to have experienced it because I hear people were utterly terrified uh, when they saw the movie. And I would have loved to have been there in that first run audience. Mm. Oh, man, that that would have been scary as hell to, to experience that in theaters. I I can't even imagine what it would be like to just like be there and then the, you know, the, that horn or, you know, that that alarm the siren. That blares, <laughs> yeah. the siren. Just being in a theater for that and just uh, all of that just kind of creeps me out. But I would have loved to see it, though. Don't get me wrong. Uh, so that is our superlatives. Those are the choices that we made for this episode. Classic blockbuster movies, anything before 1990, pretty much. <laughs> and I think that this is a great, you know, very varied list. Even though a couple movies showed up, you know, a few times it, it's kind of hard not to yeah. because they're so iconic for a reason uh but i do like the diversity among the different movies that we chose for our superlatives so mm -hmm. uh great job guys I, i'm really glad that everybody Yay. came with their answers here golf clap so <laughs> <laughs> golf clap now before we get out of here um you know i want to thank ryan for coming on the show Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for being our first guest on this series. Uh, before we let you go, of course, uh, where can we find you online? Uh, your uh, listeners can find me on Twitter at RLTerry1. They can also follow uh, my blog, uh, RLTerryRealView.com. And uh, be on the lookout for uh, my podcast, Forza Crowd, which is going to be launching 
hopefully in August. And it's a scripted podcast done in a sitcom format, complete with theme song and laugh track. And so it's uh, it's about <laughs> nice. four young professionals who find themselves sharing a condo after broken relationships and skyrocketing rent force them together in this 30-something coming-of-age sitcom. Throw in a sarcastic motherly busybody and the hijinks have no end. So Whoa. That, that is, sounds like a lot yeah. of fun. <laughs> so that's the show. And so I'm taking it back to the roots of television because after all, the... Uh, American sitcom was birthed out of its counterpart on the radio before it was on TV. So mm-hmm. I'm going back to going back to the roots. And I, uh, you know, as much of a horror guy as I am, there's a, a place in my heart for the classic American sitcom. And um, and so I've uh, I wrote the pilot, and I got another writer on board. And so he, uh, so I've got I'm co-writing. Uh, with a friend of mine, I got a great producer, and uh, my theme song is being written by a voice that the Potter family is familiar with, Miss um, uh, Lana White, who is the who wrote the theme song for the Retro Cinema podcast. And Ooh, so, uh, nice. so I contacted her. She's from Alabama, and she's a wonderfully talented uh, musician and vocalist. And so I contacted her about writing my theme song. So we've been. We've been working on that, and um, so that'll be uh, you know coming out in August to be uh, multiple episodes. We're aiming for uh, dropping three at the beginning, and then dropping one every other week, and then taking a break at Christmas time, and then coming back for uh, the second half of the season. So following uh, you know a, a like a TV schedule, mm-hmm. and huh. yeah, so uh, auditions are. And uh, this is uh, Thursday the 11th. Auditions end tomorrow. And had a lot of people uh, submit for it. So I'm excited to go through and uh, listen to them. And the great thing is, uh, because, uh, you know, it is audio, we have a lot more flexibility with uh, time. And uh, the fact I don't have to look for somebody who looks like a particular character Mm -hmm. Because that's all based on the voice. So I think it's a great opportunity for those who want to exercise their comedic chops. And maybe they don't look like this character was written. But who the hell cares? It's radio. (laughs) All you have to do is be able to bring that character to life with your voice. And so I like how it really opens the door up for uh, a lot of people who who just uh, want to get out there and, and make people laugh. And uh, anybody who's not cast as a central character, I'm planning on using them as guest stars because sitcoms have guest stars in almost every episode. So, uh, yes. so there's yeah, plenty do. of opportunity to get involved. Even those who didn't audition right now, I'll still look for guest stars. So it's a great way to get involved. You don't have to memorize lines because it's, <laughs> it's radio. And so you can just uh, just read it. So that's something I've been working on. It was one of my quarantine projects. <laughs> and so, um, so yeah, but it's called it's Four's a Crowd, and I'm uh, excited to be uh, launching it. And we're you know aiming uh, aiming for August. Wow! Congratulations on getting that up and running. That sounds like <laughs> it was a lot of work, but it was ex- it's going to be ex- extremely rewarding. I think yeah. for for you. So I'm happy to hear that it's coming out in August. We'll give it a listen. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, thank you. Yes. I I greatly appreciate. It. Oh. And I am going to have commercial breaks, but it's going to be running 
other uh, podcast promos. And right. so, and it's going to be completely free for the first three episodes. And then I'm going to charge just a nominal fee for the subsequent episodes to, uh, to run promos. Uh, that way, much like a Patreon functions, you know, it, the show mm-hmm. can pay for itself. Also, it gives me the ability to pay the actors a little something. It may not, you know, may not be much, but, uh, just so I can, so I can give back to them. And so then it also, you know, uh, help you know, promotes other you know, promotes other pods. And so, um, mm-hmm. but it, for for the first three episodes for the launch, I'm going to open it up to everybody completely free. And there's you know three, four, there's probably like three, three or four commercial breaks. So it's an opportunity to have three or four promos per episode. And so that so I'm going to open it up and be able to promote uh, other pods that way. And so it gets even more uh, gets even more people involved. Wow, that is a really exciting project, <laughs> and I cannot wait to listen to that. That is going to be a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. Thanks again and for coming on, Ryan. We really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. <laughs> this was a great time. Uh, thank you so very much for uh, having me on. And I look forward to the time that we actually can meet up in the parks, uh, hopefully here <laughs> And then your future, as long as it's not doing what it's doing right now behind me, which is shocker, you know, afternoon thunderstorm. So, um, uh, yep. <laughs> summer. Summer. Cool summer. <laughs> Thanks again, Ryan. Now, if this is your first time listening, go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and many more. And if you like us, go ahead and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way for us. Don't forget to check us out on social media to stay up to date on our latest episodes and reviews. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Always Critic Pod. And with that, that is our show. I'm Rico. And I'm Jessica. And this has been the Always the Critic Podcast. Podcast.